0: Thank you for joining us. This is Salt and Light Baptist Church and I am Pastor Justin Walker. We're glad to have you here today. We're going through the book of Genesis. It's a book of foundations. Not only the foundations of God's Word, but the foundations of the entire world in which we live. And we see Genesis divided into two major sections. The first is in the first 11 chapters. It's the creation of the world. It's the fall of man. It's the global flood of Noah. It's the dispersion where men are scattered abroad across the earth. And then the Bible will zoom in in chapters 12 through 50, the Bible zooms in the stories into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so grab a Bible and come along with us today as we continue our study through Genesis. Genesis chapter 18, and while you find Genesis chapter 18, uh, I want to say of a little girl that I knew, she was a teenager, I was, we were all teens, there was this group of teenagers in this neighborhood. There was this one particular girl, her name was Kelly. Somewhere along the line, when I say a group of kids, there was probably over 20, like 20, maybe 25 kids in this uh, neighborhood. And we all hung out together, and Kelly started receiving some secret admirer letters. And we knew they didn't come from somebody else because they didn't have any postage on them. And at first she tried to keep it a secret. She, These letters would come in her mailbox, and they were professing. And for those of you looking at me funny right now, this is not me. I wasn't the secret admirer, okay? <laughs> so they, she'd pull out these letters, and at first she tried to hide them, and somebody's professing her beauty and how much they adore her and how lovely she is and how perfect she is. And, and one day he's going to reveal himself, and... and uh, at first she tried to keep it a secret, but she told one girl, and you know how that goes. Like she told one friend, and then like a week later, everybody in the whole neighborhood knows that Kelly has a secret admirer. And so we're all together as this little friend group, and so what do you think happens? We all bring it up. "Hey, do you know who he is yet? Have you heard anything?" And she's saying, "Of course not." And this one girl, she said to Kelly, she said, uh, "Are you going to date him?" And Kelly goes. I don't know I don't I don't know who he is and more than likely by the way he was probably in that circle of, of friends as we were talking and so she said how could I date him I don't know who he is well the end of that story is that the letters stopped the young man never sent another le- I suppose he was embarrassed after everybody in the group found out that the letters were going to Kelly and he never wrote her another letter and weeks went by and even months went by and we would bring it up every now and then. Did you ever figure out who it was? And she said no. And she would even say, how could I ever date him? I don't know who he is. He never told me who he is. Today we're going to see a story that, by the way, when we read it, it leads us into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah is a, is a tough story. I mean, when you read about God destroying an entire city. We're just at the, at the brink of God getting ready in the Bible, in the, in the storyline. We're at the brink of God getting ready to destroy a city. And before he does that, he wants to make sure that we know exactly who he is that he reveals himself, and that we don't have to leave it up to speculation of who God is. I'm going to show it to you. It's Genesis chapter 18, and I'm only going to read a portion. We're going to do the whole thing, but if I read it all now, it'll take too much time, and I won't get through it all. So let's read uh, the first five verses, and then we'll, we'll pray, and we'll get to the other ones here in a little bit. So the first five verses there of Genesis 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And so he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that. You may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him about his word. Heavenly Father, we turn to you, only to you. You who wrote this and preserved it. And you've put it on our hearts, Lord, to know more about you. You've brought us here today. God, myself included, would you please reveal yourself even right now. God, would you please open up your word to us? How quick we are to glance through and think that we know. Father, how guilty am I to think that I know? I know nothing, and I confess to you that I know nothing. Would you please reveal yourself through your word today? That we might know more of who you are. Would you speak to our hearts, and would you draw us unto yourself through your word? And through the preaching of your word? Father, I'll be a vessel if you'll use me. I pray for your spirit to just take over this place, take over our hearts. May your name be magnified and glorified through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, it's verse one. Do you see it? Look with me. Then, can you say those next two words? Then the Lord. Okay, so there's not much question here. Who has come? Then the Lord appeared to him. Who's the him? That's Abraham. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's Abraham. The Lord appeared to him. The Lord appeared to Abraham. And how does he appear? Well, let's look. Well, he's by the terebinth trees of Mamre. He was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, verse 2. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. Now, understand where we are in the timeline first. Remember that according to what we read here, and this might sound a little confusing. I hope I don't confuse it. We didn't read it yet. A little later in chapter 18, we're going to read that God will say to Abraham, according to the time of life, I'm going to appear to you again, and you'll have a child. And what he really, our, our modern day English could say it like this, nine months from now, your wife's going to have a baby. Okay, That's what God will say just in a few seconds, as or a few minutes as we read through chapter 18. Now, remember with me last week. Remember where we ended? right? Some of you don't remember yet. You remember we ended with circumcision. God gave the covenant of circumcision and he t- and Abraham at 99 years old was circumcised because he truly believed, why else would he be circumcised? He truly believed what God was telling him, that he was going to have a baby. And at the, at the, towards the end of chapter 17, remember that God said a year from now, I'm going to come visit you and you're going to have a baby. Remember that? And then so he was circumcised. Now he says nine months from now. So one year, now we're to the point of him saying nine months. So you understand that from circumcision until this point, when God reappears to Abraham, it's been about three months. Three months ago, God appeared to Abraham and said, you're going to have a baby a year from now. Three months later, where we are right here in chapter 18, God shows up again and he's going to give him a a similar prophecy again. God shows up to Abraham, but when he shows up, he shows up as these three persons, these three men walk up. Don't get confused and think that's the Trinity. That's not the Trinity. Why is that not the Trinity? Because the Bible says no man has seen the father. They can't. You can't see the Father. It'll kill you. Moses couldn't even see the Father. Remember that? You say, well, wait a minute. That's, the Lord appeared to him. That's exactly right. The Lord did appear to him. Stick with me. I'm, I'm trying to give some good doctrine. In the Old Testament, Jesus shows up. Jesus is the second person of God. Now, our God is one God. Everybody, Somebody say amen to that. Our God is one God. There's one God, but he's in three persons. And that's hard for us to understand, but instead of me spending the next 20 minutes trying to explain something that I probably can't anyways, it'd be better that we accept that. That's why we have to accept that by faith. If I could truly accept everything about God, if I could truly know and explain everything about God, he ceases to be God. Do you get that? So here's God in three persons. I can't see the Father. That's not possible. The Bible tells me I can't. Nobody has seen the Father. Nobody, we can't do that. But we can see Jesus. And Jesus appears in the Old Testament. We call it a theophany. Uh, 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 there's a name for it, but who cares? There's a, Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Sometimes we see him as the angel of the Lord, or in this case, the Lord appeared to Abraham. So there's Jesus and there's these two angels. How do we know they're angels? Because in the next chapter, it's the two angels who go into Sodom to, to look at what's happening in Sodom. So that's how we can d- differentiate. So there's two angels and there's Jesus. There's three men that show up and appear to Abraham. And I've got a question that it's a leading question, but I want you to think for a moment. Abraham pops up, he sees the three men, he runs over, bows himself down and and you read it, right? He says, please don't, don't pass by. And in verse four, he says, let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree and I'll bring you a morsel of bread and, and you may refresh your hearts. I'm going to ask you a, a pretty straightforward question. I'm telling you that we know Sodom is coming, right? That's why God is here. He'll tell us that in a little bit. For Abraham, he runs up and grabs, a, he wants some water, wash their feet, refresh your hearts, get a drink, take a little break. Did God need a break? Interesting, isn't it? I, I got one for If God was 300 yards either direction, would Abraham have even known that God was there? Probably not. You see, the only reason that Abraham even knows that God has come to visit him, the only reason that he even sees God is because God revealed himself to Abraham. You see, friends, God didn't need a rest. God didn't need directions. He knew exactly where he was going. And on the way is Abraham. It's not God who needs Abraham. It goes the other way. Why why would God be stopping by Abraham's then? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit, a, a little more of the reason why. But Abraham is the one who's in need here, not God. A few years ago, I went and uh, there was a, a friend of mine was having a surgery. And if you know me, if you've tried to get together with me, especially here in the recent past, you know that I'm a hard person to get a hold of. There's a lot of busy schedules happening. And, and, uh, and so I had a friend, he was having a surgery, and nobody was going to be there for his surgery. He was going to drive himself He was going to go into surgery, and then he's going to get out of surgery, and he's going to drive himself home the next day or maybe two days later when he gets out of surgery. Nobody's going to take him. Nobody's going to be there. It's just going to be him, and so I got up at 5 a.m., and I drove to the hospital, and I met him before he we went into this to the surgery, and I sat and I prayed with him, and I talked with him, and if you've ever been in the hospital with me, you know that I'm just going to cut up and try to keep my mind off whatever blood things are happening so I don't pass out in front of you and embarrass myself, and so I'm, I'm standing there in the hospital talking to him, and then they took him back for surgery, and I sat in the hospital for three hours until the surgery was done, and by that point, it was like, I don't know, probably one in the afternoon. And then post-op, I went back and I saw him again and let him know that I was there and left him with my number and put it in speed dial on his phone and said that way if if he was out of it but he wanted to call somebody, he could call me. And later I was telling a pastor friend of mine that I had been at the hospital. I was so backed up at work because I'd been at the hospital, I missed a whole day of work to be at the hospital. And this pastor friend of mine, he kind of chided me a little bit. And he said, Justin, he said, you don't have to do that. He's trying to be nice. He's trying to give me advice. He's, you know, you're, you're his pastor. You're his friend. You don't have to do that, though. You didn't have to go spend your whole day. And he's kind of chiding me a little bit. But I remember I looked at him and I said this. No, I didn't, I didn't need it. He did. Do you understand? Like, I didn't go to the hospital and sit all day for my own benefit. I, I went to the hospital and sat all day because my friend was, was there and he needed it. Will you hear this. God has come to visit us because we need it. You see, Abraham is sitting under the terebinth tree. It's the heat of the day. He's 99 years old and he was just circumcised. He's not moving around a lot. Some of y'all are missing this. This guy's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. God came to him. And that's exactly, by the way, what God has done for you and I. We who needed it the most, God came to us. We didn't even know we needed it. Abraham didn't even know he needed it. God had just told him three months ago he was going to have a baby a year from then. Abraham believed it so much that Abraham had been circumcised. But God knew that Abraham needed a visit. And friends, God looked at the world and he knew that we needed a visit. And so he sent his only son, Jesus. And I don't just mean in the story here in the theophany. I don't just mean that. I mean that God looked at the world and he said they need help. He didn't need it, but we did. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, who is God. You understand that, like that, y'all. You know that, right? Jesus is God, and God Himself, in the person of Jesus, came to this earth to make a way for us to have a relationship with Him because we needed it so much. You get that? And I love this that Abraham gets up and he runs around and he starts serving. Check out what he does next because this is what I would do, and if you know me, you know I do it and I take credit for it. Look at verse six. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said, "Sarah." (laughs) I literally say that. He said, "Sarah." quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran, he he ran to the herd. He 99 years old, been circumcised. He ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took the butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. You see that? Abraham, he's, he pops up, he's going he's to get a meal ready for them. He said, have a little morsel of bread, wash your feet, have a little bit of water, refresh your hearts. And then he says, Sarah, make some bread. That's what I would do. I'd be like, Sarah, make some cookies because I just want the cookies anyways, but that's beyond the point. So I always run to Sarah and I say, make the cookies. So Abraham runs to Sarah, make some bread. He runs to the servant. He says, get the, get the calf. Take that really good one, that good tender one and, and slaughter the calf. Do you understand how long that would take? It's the heat of the day. I don't think the fire was going knead up some bread, get the fire going. He's planning, he wants these guys to stay for a meal. And so he gets everything ready, puts out the butter, puts out some utensils, gets them some fresh water and some milk. I mean, they've got a nice little spread going here. And I love what happens. Verse nine, then they said to him, you reading it? Where's Sarah, your wife? he ran around, he grabbed everything, he put it out before him and they went, where's Sarah? Look what he says. And he said, I will certainly, uh, I'm sorry, I missed part there uh, in verse nine. So he said, here in the tent. And he said, this is the Lord speaking. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. That's nine months. I'll return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which, which was behind him. And Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. She's 90, by the way, 91. And therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I surely? bear a child since I am old verse 14 is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son but Sarah denied it saying I did not laugh for she was afraid and he said no but you did laugh now get this God comes to Abraham he's under the terebinth trees Abraham scurries around and gets a meal spreads it out before him and God looks at Abraham and says, where's Sarah? And Abraham has to go, she's in, she's in the tent. She's right here in the tent. Don't be mad at me for the customs of the day. I'm just trying to teach you what, what's really happening. That's the custom of the day. There's three men. They're in the Middle East, in the ancient world. She wasn't welcome, according to the custom of the day, she wasn't welcome to come in and sit with the three men and with Abraham and to eat with them. Though she's the one who prepared the bread, by the way. But she wasn't allowed to come in and, and eat. That's just the custom of the day. And I love how God does this. Remember when Jesus in the New Testament does this all the time, how he just totally breaks the culture of the day? Doesn't he do that? Did you ever notice how Jesus just totally breaks the culture of the day? Like when he talks to women first and they, they get the first miracles and they're the first ones at the tomb. And he, he just breaks culture all the time and says, well, I'm, I, it doesn't matter what culture says. So here's Abraham and, and, and God says to Abraham, where's Sarah? Do you think that when God said, where's Sarah, do you think he knew where she was? So I got a second question for you then. Do you think that was God speaking to Abraham or was God speaking to Sarah? He wanted to get Sarah. What do you think? Do you, I don't know if y'all have wives that do this. I know the reaction of Sarah. This one and my own. Because she scares the bejeebers out of me. I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden she'll go, ah! And I'm like, what? what happened? I thought I had a child. Some of y'all are laughing because you do it. Your poor husbands, y'all gonna give us heart attack. You wonder why we have heart attack? Y'all gasp, you scare us. Thank you, right, some of y'all know. She, I, do, what do you think Sarah did when he goes, where's Sarah? She just made the bread and he goes, where's Sarah? I know what she did. <gasps> she gasped. Well, who was God speaking to? He was speaking to Sarah. Can I make a second point to you? First one is this, that God comes to us. He knew he needed to come to us. God is the one who comes to us. Secondly is this, God comes for everyone. The culture said it was, it was all about Abraham. He's the man. He's the one who's gonna. He's the heir. He's the one who's gonna have the children. It's all about Abraham. And God says, "I don't care what culture says. We're Sarah." He wanted to get her attention. He wanted her to know he had come for her just as much. You know what I, I see from the pastor side? You know what I see often? There's a little truth to every joke. I invite tons of people to church. I love inviting people to church. I'm always inviting people to church. And, and those who don't regularly go, they like to make little jokes about that. And they'll say things like this. I had one guy, he said this to me. He said, well, I'll, uh, I'll sit in the back. I know, I'll, I'll sit in the back of the church. I said, you don't, you don't have to sit in the back of the church. You're welcome to sit anywhere in the church. The church is open to you. And he goes, uh, I, know, I know you feel that way, but God probably doesn't. I had another guy, he told me this. I said, would you like to come to church and I'll show you around the new building. I'll show you the new building. And you know what he said? He said, yeah, I'll come. But you need to have your fire extinguishers ready. I said, fire extinguishers? What? This was before like looting and everything. So he wasn't threatening. He said, you better have your fire extinguishers ready. And I said, my fire extinguishers, why? He said, because when the Lord strikes lightning through the roof, you're probably gonna need to put those out. Now their impressions, and that's one of like a hundred that I could give you. Their impressions are that God doesn't want them here. There's a little truth to every joke, right? I mean, if they're saying that to me, what do you think their heart's telling them? Will you listen to me? I don't know half of you all. Will you listen to this? When God came, he came for everyone. When the Bible says that God so loved the world, he loves the entire world. A couple of years ago, the church was dealing with... I don't know where you stand politically, and if you want to argue with me, do it later. I don't know where you stand politically, but stick with this. A couple of years ago, the churches were dealing with homosexual marriage. Now, that's allowed in the state, but the church should stand strong... That's a hard thing. And there was a local church with Baptist in the name, not associated to any Baptist that we know, but they had Baptist in the name and a local Baptist church. And they decided to not only marry homosexuals, but they also decided to, um, they also decided to ordain them and to put them as member, uh, not just members, but leadership and, and ministers in their church as homosexuals. And I was talking about that and I'm, I'm around a group of people and, and they all just, I mean, all at once, they said, they're going to pay for that. I remember one particular lady, she said to me, she said, in that scenario, she said, Jesus didn't die for that. And I re- at that point, I about gasped. I said, uh, actually, I'm going to say something real shocking to you. You do know what God wants from a church that's ordaining homosexuals. That's just one example of many. I'm sure we could find lots of things wrong with the church. But you do know what the, what the Lord wants from that, right? He wants them to repent and come back to him. If you're familiar with the book of the Revelation, if you look in the book of the Revelation, what would you see? That the first couple of chapters, first four chapters, there's all these churches and God's getting on the churches. And what is he saying to every one of them? Come back to me or I will remove your lampstand. Because what did God want from them? He wanted them to come back. It's easy from our perspective. We know what we've done in our lives. We know how evil and how wicked we've been. And we look at it and say, yeah, I I know. I hear the stories of redemption. I hear the stories of, of change. I hear the stories of new life. I hear what you all say, but that's you. God doesn't want me. And I'm telling you, yes, God does want you. He doesn't care what the culture says. He doesn't even care what some stupid church person said. He doesn't care what some stupid church as a whole said you know what God cares about? If you'll come back to him. God wants your attention because God wants you to come unto him. And that's why he came. He looked at a lost world and said, they need to come to me and they can't do it on their own. So he sends Jesus, his only son. And when Jesus came, he came for you because he wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So deep of a relationship, we can look at it like this with Sarah. Look at this part of the relationship. I love this as, as Sarah starts thinking, I'm old. I'm in verse uh, 12. She says, I'm old. So she laughs. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? You can figure out what she means by that. She means exactly what she's saying. What she's saying. She, are, are, are me and Abraham, are we going to have pleasure? I mean, we're 90 and, all, and almost 100. Is that what we're going to do now? And so she's, she laughs within herself. And I love this in verse, thir- verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? She stopped laughing right then. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she, stopped, she stopped chuckling in herself. She just stopped right there. He said, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Are you ready for verse 14? That's, if you're struggling with does the Lord want you, look at verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord. I'm going to ask you this question. If we look at you, if I look at you and say that Christ died on the cross for your sins and you say, yeah, that means for these people, but you don't know what I've done, then I want you to understand what you just said. You just said that your sin is greater than the cross and the price that Christ paid. You understand, the God who created the world came down here to save you, gave his own life, shed his own precious blood, and says, I'll save you. And you said, not me, I committed adultery. That's too big for him. Like everybody else he can get, but your adultery is too big. Your addiction is too big. Now, when I say it that way, I know you're you're thinking that's not what you mean, but, but that's what you're, inadvertently, that's what you're saying. Do you understand that there is nothing too big for God? There's nothing that he can't handle. And there's nothing that you've done that he doesn't already know about. And he wants to forgive you. He wants to offer his forgiveness and he wants to save you. And that's why he's come for absolutely everyone. And there's this best part. I love this part of the story. It doesn't seem like it fits, but it does. It's perfect. Read it. Let's get a little further. We're in verse 16. Then the men arose from there and they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood, uh, still stood by the Lord, and Abraham came near. Do you notice that he came near? I'm going to put a little inflection in this because I think this is how it probably went. Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord said to him, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? And so he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, if you're lost. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And so he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak, suppose 30 should be found there. And so he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, verse 32, then he said, 'Let, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose then 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. You ever saw it like that? I asked you the question earlier, who did God come for? Did God need rest? Did God need a morsel of bread? Did he need a drink of water? Did he need to refresh his heart with Abraham? No. Abraham needed God. And here's exactly why Abraham needed God. God says, should I hide it from Abraham, what I'm going to do? No, I'm going to tell him exactly what I'm going to do. He's going to be the father of this great nation. I'm going to tell him what I would do. And so God tells Abraham, the outcry has come against Sodom and we're going into Sodom to see if the outcry is true. And if it is, we're going to destroy the city. But God even said, but if it's not true, I'll know. And the two angels go on their way. They're going to go into Sodom, which is where we'll be next Sunday. We'll read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah next Sunday. But but for today, here's left. The two angels left and and left there under the terebinth trees is Abraham and the Lord. And the wheels start turning in Abraham's head. And he goes up to God and he says, would you destroy it if there was 50? What if there was 50 good people there? Now, I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Do you think that God didn't already have a number in his head? Like was, was Abraham talking him down? God is just going to destroy the city. And, and Abraham says, well, there's, but what if there's 50? Did God change his mind and say, oh, you know what? You're right. If there's 50, I should probably hold up. Of course not. No, 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 no. God already knew this. Whose benefit is this for? And look at what happens with Abraham as he does it over and over again. He keeps thinking that we're, this is us, by the way. If you can't put your own self in these shoes, you're just, you're being blinded. Listen, this is us. He goes, what if there's 50 people? God says, no, no, if there's 50 people, Abraham, no. If there's 50 people, I'm not going to destroy for 50 people. You know what? You know what he says next? What about 45? What if there was even five less? What about 45? 45. You can hear God, in and in, I think in, in, in my mind, in a gentle fatherly tone, as he says, no, Abraham, I'm not going to do it if there's 45. His wills keep going. I, I know, I know, far be it from me. What if there's 30? God says, no, not if there's 30. I won't do it even if there's 30. He gets all the way down even to 10. And I want you to think about this. Abraham in his own heart is saying, but what if there's even just 10 righteous people there? And did you notice what God said? Remember, Abraham's not changing his mind. God's mind is already made up. Abraham says, what if there's even just 10? And you know what God says? No, Even if there's 10, I won't destroy it. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Did you know that? God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And God is not slack concerning his promise toward us, but is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this is not for God's sake. God knows exactly what is going on in Sodom, and God knows exactly what is going to happen. This is for Abraham, so that Abraham would know what? Who God is. God is revealing himself to Abraham. Abraham, as he's thinking to himself, wait a minute, how unfair would this be? What if there was 30 people? What if there's 20 people? What if there's 10 people? And over and over again, you know what he finds? God says, of course not. Is Abraham more righteous than God? Now I say this to you. No matter what judgmental thing we've posted on God and we've stuck to him. Would you understand that no matter what we do as finite humans, letting the wheels in our head play, that God has revealed himself as a good God who really, 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 really wants to save you? Even if it was down to this, if you were the very last person to be saved, God's still waiting. He wants you to come unto him. And he'll do anything for that. He'll go so far as to send his only son to shed his own blood that you could be saved. God doesn't want anybody to perish. And he wants you to know that. And over and over. We're only in Genesis 18. We've been at this since January 1. We're in Genesis 18. And God's been revealing himself how many times to show he is a good God who cares about us. I remember when I was in foster parenting classes. I'll wrap up with this, I promise. Last story. Oh, I'm on, I'm on time. Y'all quit looking at me like that. Look. <laughs> Maybe it's probably not you. It's probably just me thinking I was late. Goodness, I got five minutes. Let's do another. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I was in foster parenting classes, and uh, they told us that some of the parents were there. If you've ever been in foster parenting, you know, you got to go for immediate classes, like to, to go in foster parenting, and you have to go every year or every couple of years to get trained. And so some people were there for their training And there was a couple there that was there for their training. So they had foster kids for years, but they've got to go for their yearly or bi-yearly training. And so that's why they were in the classes. And they were telling us some of the stories, the, the stories of the kids that were there. And they had this one little boy that it didn't matter what they bought for him. It didn't matter like what toy they bought or what game they got him or whatever, he would break it. And they didn't know why he was doing it. They just knew that, it, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. 24 hours, within 24 hours, this little boy would snap his toys. He'd break his toys. He'd break the games. He'd draw on things. He would ruin everything. And they were all, you know, and as rightfully so, they're getting annoyed. We buy him stuff, he breaks it. We buy him stuff, he breaks it. We get him stuff, he breaks it. And then he doesn't have the things that he had before. And then he's disgruntled because he doesn't have those things. And so they're kind of voicing that this is where they were. And then they were in a therapy session with him one day. And they found out the little boy says that uh, his dad used to take his toys and take them down to the pawn shop and sell them. And so he would rather just break them than somebody else get them. And I remember that parent telling us that. And here's what the parent said. They said, it was in that moment that we realized it wasn't his job to search out that we were good. We had to show him that we were good. Friends, God, we keep looking at God in a bad way. We don't mean to, but we, we've got all these atheists running around and all these all this arguments from agnostics. And we get this kind of negative view of God. And I mean, have you ever heard those negative views of God when they say like, oh, well, it's, have you ever heard the kick the dog one? Like, you know, if I have a bad day at work, I don't get to go home and kick the dog. Well, you know, God doesn't get to take all his wrath out on his son. How is that fair? And so we start to think of God in this mean way. Friends, God has revealed himself over and over and over and over again. He's a good God who loves you and wants you to be saved. And it's your own will's turn and saying, would you do it with 50? Would you take 45? Would you take 30? That's you. That's not him. He's a good God who's already got the number in his mind. He knows what was happening in Sodom, and he is just and he is fair. As a matter of fact, he's beyond just and fair. He's merciful and he's loving, and he wants you to come unto him. And so that's where you are right now. Would you come unto him? If you need to be saved, he wants to save you. If you need to reconcile a relationship with him, maybe you've been a long time coming, friends, he's still standing ready to receive you. He's a good God who's revealed himself to us just as that. Would we all stand up on our feet? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just turn to you right now and Lord, we pour out our hearts to you and and God, I am so thankful that you would reveal yourself to us as who you really are. Father, how could we know you My heart is heavy to think that if the agnostics were right, that you're there, but you're so far away we couldn't reach you. And yet here you are revealing yourself to us that you stand before us and say, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. So God, can we just take a moment and say, we adore you. We are so far in love with you. You are great and you are good and we don't deserve your mercy and we don't deserve your goodness. So thank you for it. And thank you for revealing yourself as such to us. Thank you for not letting our own heads get in the way and that you've showed us exactly who you are. May your name be glorified for who you are. And Father, would you take this time of invitation now and just do with it whatever you want? Father, we we sincerely seek your will. Lord. we don't want anything other than that. We want to please you. And I pray, Father, that if there's somebody here today who does not know you as their Savior, or who's been struggling, Father, would you draw them unto yourself even right now? Father, would you reveal yourself in a very real way to them. That they would know you are good and you are merciful and you're gracious. So, Father, we take a moment and just ask for this invitation. That your will would be done, that you'd move in a mighty way. May your name be glorified even now at invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you made it all the way through the sermon. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget you can find all of our sermons at com slash media. You can join us live on Sunday morning on Facebook or at com slash live. We'll see you next week.